Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Thinking Theologically podcast, the show where we teach you how and why you should think theologically. I am one of your hosts, Jack Dodgen, joined by our resident theologian in training, Spencer Shaw. Spencer, how are you doing? Doing pretty good. I I find it funny. I think it was our, our last episode. We mentioned that we're hoping to be able to be a little more consistent yeah, no, moving no forward weather distractions uh, and no weather distraction as I, I'm pretty sure we have a tornado watch here in East Texas as we're recording. So I had mine last night, but it, it went, it just turned into a thunderstorm. I think we sent it down your way and I think most of it's passed through, but who knows? We could stop in the middle of, of recording for me to take shelter. So I know that there's knows? a science behind it, but it doesn't feel like there is feels like they just show up they're just here yeah like oh hey uh tornado sirens are going off you need to get though i don't i don't remember dealing with them much when i was when i was down there one time one time there was a concern but that was it. no there's uh it's it's generally there's a there's a place a, a section like right between tyler and Dallas along I-20, uh, which kind of right in the middle is Canton, okay, which is yeah. famous for their trade shows and stuff like yeah. that. So there's probably quite a few people listening that have heard of Canton. Most of you, I'm assuming, know where Dallas is. But that area actually gets a fair amount of tornado stuff, bad weather. I've uh, uh, I- I've actually had to pull over driving back and take shelter before because a tornado was coming right across I-20. Uh, but what's interesting is outside of there, we don't get very much. Like, it, it's close enough where we have to be concerned, but it never actually generally makes its way this far south. And when it does, they're normally not too bad. I think about a week ago, we had a couple tornadoes in this area, but not bad. Mm, yeah. Um. The bad ones are generally, for whatever reason, that little section right between See, I'm Tyler in and Dallas. More Oklahoma now, so tornadoes that uh, they they live there, they vacation there. Uh, they have a real thing for the downtown part of more. So <laughs> I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting. We've got a we've got a great shelter though, so. We'll be all right. That's good. We'll be all right. And if if it's time to go, I'm ready to go. I'm confident. I'm confident uh, where I'm going, which is what we're talking about uh, for. Wait, yeah, where are we going? The rest of our lives. <laughs> this is what we're talking about until we get there. Um, uh, just warning for those that are jumping into this. Uh, this is lesson number two in this series. Uh, we have we have eight others written down at the moment. And this is not a threat, but we could add more. Okay, I'm not threatening you. I'm just, we might uh, add more to the subject. Uh, we're talking about new heavens, new earth, uh, language as we see it throughout uh, the Bible, both Old and New Testament. Last week, or last uh, last episode, we gave an overview of that idea as we see it throughout various places, and now we're going to dive into specific texts uh, and or specific authors, uh, and that's why we need we need a, a lot of episodes because it's talked about quite a bit uh, by varying groups. So 
Uh, hopefully that cuts down on length of episode, but there's going to be tons of content in this regard. Uh, I want to say before we begin that in addition to podcasts, we'll also have various uh, articles written on the subject covering some things that maybe weren't enough for a complete episode or that we didn't want to get into full episode-wise right now, but may end up doing later. All of that is found on thinkingtheologically.org. We've got a website. It's new, still new. Uh, We launched it two weeks ago, so... Uh, Go check it out. You can find uh, our most recent episodes there as well as some additional content, and uh, we'll have some of our older episodes down there as well. So uh, tons of of, uh, stuff there for you to use in order to, to think theologically. And as always, you can send stuff to us on Facebook, to Spencer on Twitter, only. You can comment on the website. We've already received a few, uh, and that's even helped us add one of these episodes to the list here. Uh, and you can email us at strongchurchministries at gmail.com, uh, and we'd love to hear from you, good, bad, or otherwise. Okay, today we are focusing in on new creation in the Old Testament, uh, and we're going to we're going to lean into to Genesis a little bit, as well as some other places, but our, our primary place of focus is going to be uh, Isaiah today. Uh, but we need to set some groundwork for that. I know we had an overview, but we need to set other groundwork, uh, because the way that the, the ancients thought of, uh, thought of the afterlife is very different than the way that we tend to think of those things. So uh, we're going to need to get into all of that stuff today cover that, and then we can go into Isaiah and look at all of that. Uh, Spencer, where do you want to begin uh, with this uh, particular episode here? How do you want to introduce us to new creation in the Old Testament? Well, I I think it might be beneficial to begin where our last episode ended. Uh, In the last episode where we kind of did an overview, we looked at, uh, we spent a lot of the a lot of our time in the first three chapters of Genesis, that's kind of the text uh, that we uh, spent the bulk of our time developing. And then we kind of moved through and saw how the imagery in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is found throughout the rest of Scripture. As Scripture talks about heaven, eternal life, the conclusion to God's story, it relies on the language and the imagery that we see in the first three chapters of Genesis, which presents for us that idea that the conclusion of God's story, that, that heaven, is a return back to the, the beginning. And so we concluded that by kind of giving our thoughts of what this biblical language means for a discussion of heaven, of eternal life, and of God's story. And so I kind of want to begin there with just kind of a reminder of where we're coming from, uh, what we're in this series, arguing for and what we believe Scripture teaches and what Scripture has to say about uh, heaven. And that is that uh, we're arguing for, and we believe that that Scripture teaches, uh, that heaven is going to be new heavens and a new earth. We saw how that language pops up over and over again in Isaiah and Second Peter and in Revelation, uh, that heaven is going to be new heavens and a new earth, uh, reminiscent of the perfection of of God's original creation. That repeat of the language of Genesis 1 and 2 is indicating to us that heaven uh, is going to be a restoration 
of God's creation back to what he originally intended and back to the creation that God originally designed, uh, which means that the conclusion of God's story, uh, which is what we typically mean when we use the word heaven, it's interesting. I think we mentioned in the last episode, scripture doesn't really use the word heaven as often as we think. It's much more the idea of the conclusion of God's story, what God is building and moving us towards. And so the conclusion of God's story is going to be a return to the beginning of the story, a return to the original creation of Genesis 1 and 2. And because of that, that means that that heaven, that the conclusion of this story, is going to have some kind of physical dimension to it. And we're going to have a lot more to say about that, particularly when we get into the New Testament discussion yep. of heaven, of afterlife, of the conclusion to the story. Uh, but because it's a return to the beginning, it's a return to the original creation of Genesis 1 and 2, there's going to be some kind of physical dimension to it. It means that that heaven is going to be the redemption first of the entire human being, spiritual, physical, mental. Heaven isn't just the spiritual part of us floating up and playing a harp on a cloud for all of eternity. Heaven is a redemption of the entire human being, spiritual, physical, mental, back to the human beings that God intended for us to be at the very beginning, Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, Particularly, that means a renewal of our image-bearing ability of God. We were created to reflect God back into the creation. Uh, Because of sin, uh, we don't do that perfectly. It's kind of like we're mirrors meant to reflect God. Our mirror is cracked, so we give kind of a cracked reflection of God. The idea of heaven is that's going to be restored, and we're going to be the full, whole human beings that God created us to be. But it also means that creation itself, not just human beings, but the creation itself is going to be a part of heaven. Because if we're returned to Genesis 1 and 2, it's returned to the entirety of the perfection of the cosmos that God created, human beings and creation itself. And that's kind of where we concluded in our last episode, uh, and that was kind of real brief in the grand scheme of what ended up being a fairly long episode. So I think it's important to kind of start there, remind people, lay the groundwork again. This is where we're coming from. This is what we believe Scripture to be teaching, where we believe Scripture will be coming from. Uh, And hopefully you began to see that in the overview and the look at the first three chapters of Genesis, and that you'll continue to see that in this episode as we dive in to Isaiah 65 and 66. Yeah, and if if that's our brief synopsis of the previous episode, which was uh, a rather lengthy one to set all of the groundwork for this long series of lessons— uh, in uh, on thinkingtheologically.org, uh, we have the show notes up on the site, and right under the synopsis, I will have uh, their last uh, our last episode of the overview. Uh, in the event that you missed it, or you just want to go through it again and uh, see all of that there, we also have the notes for that lesson on the website, so you can just read through as well and you know, jump ahead uh, to where you're wanting to go. So we'll have all that available uh, because our goal isn't just to talk about these things, though we very much enjoy doing that, uh, but to to teach these things. We we love teaching, we love studying, and sharing that with other people. So uh, before we get into uh, what Spencer said there, Isaiah 65 and 66, 
Uh, we need to understand how the Old Testament, the Old Testament writers, uh, the people of God in the Old Testament, and really maybe we'll say not just the people of God, but uh, the people of God, how they understood the afterlife, how they understood heaven and those things, uh, so that we can understand why things were written the way that they were uh, within Isaiah. Uh, Spencer, give us a little bit of insight into their understanding of afterlife and heaven. So something that is interesting about the the Old Testament that, that many people don't know or don't realize is that the Old Testament actually doesn't have a concept of an afterlife with heaven and hell, a punishment, reward. When people today, particularly when Christians think about the idea of afterlife, we think about it in those terms, heaven, hell, punishment, reward. That, that, that's what we want to debate. Who goes to which? Do both exist? That kind of a thing. That conception of the afterlife is not present in the Old Testament. Uh, the Old Testament does believe in some kind of afterlife, some kind of life after this life, but it's very fuzzy. It's very gray. It's not developed very far. Uh, and so the that understanding in the Old Testament is that everyone, both good and evil, go to a place called Sheol, which simply means the, the place of the dead, that there's this place of the dead, this place where the dead go, both good and evil. And so that's the ex really the extent to the Old Testament's understanding of an afterlife is, yeah, yeah, there's this place that people go when they die, but that's about it. Everybody goes there. So it, very fuzzy, very gray. And th there's two other things real quickly that I want to say about that. And the first is, that that's not just my opinion about what the Old Testament teaches, nor is it a liberal opinion or a conservative opinion or something like that. Uh, if you ask any Old Testament person, anyone who studies the Old Testament, they'll tell you the exact same thing, that the Old Testament does not have a conception of the afterlife. There, there's no uh, heaven, hell. There's no punishment, reward. There's just Sheol, uh, the place of the dead, the place where all the dead go. And that also shouldn't bother us as Christians because I think in some other episode, I don't even remember what it was, but I feel like I've said this on the podcast before, that God's pretty smart, which means that he doesn't, uh, he's not overbearing on human beings when it comes to things like information. If God just on Adam and Eve or Abraham or something like that just dumped all the information about everything on them, we wouldn't be able to handle it, right? We as human beings develop and grow in our understanding over time. And you see that in scripture. And the afterlife is an example. The Old Testament is fuzzy and gray. God doesn't reveal a lot about it to human beings because we couldn't handle it. We couldn't understand it. We needed to grow and mature, which is why you see a development in Scripture, from the beginning to the end, in an understanding of the afterlife. You get to the time of Jesus, there's a little bit more of an understanding, 
of punishment reward of things like resurrection, which you don't really find much of in the Old Testament. But then even after Jesus, as writers like Paul reflect on Jesus, we get even more of a development of what this looks like now that we can think about eternity in terms of the Messiah, in terms of Jesus. We have more information to work with. That's how we as human beings work and develop. uh, And that's how God treats us too. I mean, just think about it. God giving Abraham a smartphone probably wouldn't work very well. We as human beings need to develop over time uh, to be able to use even technology like that. Uh, But that also goes for information, like with eternity and stuff like that. So that's why we don't have a lot of it uh, in the Old Testament. And what we do have is that fuzzy gray, it's Sheol, it's, it's where everyone goes. And so because of that, when the Old Testament does speak of things like punishment and reward, It's always physical. It it always relates to right here, right now in this physical world. It's not punishment and reward that is pushed off to eternity. Um, And a prime example of that is in Deuteronomy 28. In Deuteronomy 28, you have these blessings and curses. And the idea is, is God is speaking through Moses. Deuteronomy is a sermon of Moses to the people of Israel And is in essence saying, if you follow me, you'll be blessed. If you don't, you'll be cursed. Very simple. The blessings are, God says, if you follow me, you'll be blessed by your city will be blessed. Your fields will be blessed. He says the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your ground, the fruit of your livestock, the increase of your cattle and your flock will be blessed. Your baskets and your kneading bowl will be blessed. It's all physical. Right, It's the city, it's the field, it's their children, uh, it's their livestock. And the curses are the same. God says, if you don't follow me, your city will be cursed, your field will be cursed, your basket and kneading bowl will be cursed, the fruit of your womb, of the ground, your cattle, your flock, all of that's going to be cursed. Uh, Very physical, here and now, the blessings and the curses. They're not pushed off into eternity because the Old Testament doesn't have that conception. However... That doesn't mean that the Old Testament doesn't have important things to say to us about heaven or the afterlife. And the reason is because, as we talked about in the previous episode, that the Christian or the New New Testament concept of heaven is much more about the conclusion to God's story than it is to this idea of afterlife. Afterlife, eternity is a part of it, but it's not the primary focus when scripture talks about heaven or afterlife, it's all in the context of the conclusion of God's story of this is what God is doing. This is where God is moving human beings and human history towards. And and, and I hope that makes sense. Afterlife, punishment, reward, all that is a part of it, but only in the context of this bigger story of God, only within the context of the conclusion of God's story. And so because of that, the Old Testament can speak at least a little bit to our understanding of heaven because the Old Testament does have many images that speak about the conclusion of God's story. And while, as mentioned, these images may be incomplete, uh, they may lack a development and an understanding of concepts like the afterlife of eternity, they do give us hope for what God is eventually going to do. They do begin to give us a hope 
of the conclusion of God's story, of where God is moving human history towards. So within that vein, the Old Testament does have important things to say about heaven as the conclusion to this grander story of God. Yeah, uh, the the idea of Old Testament physical being a, a, a incomplete but enough of a picture for the New Testament to build on is very common idea uh, with uh, stuff like the tabernacle and temple and all of those things. Uh, Jerusalem being God's city, this place of peace, the light to the world. We see that language with the church later. Uh, same sort of thing here. So it is a it is a physical picture that provides a foundation that the New Testament writers come in on, both all being guided by the Holy Spirit uh, in their writings to say, yeah, this is that, just more full, more more real uh, in all of those things. So very common thing uh, to see that. And like Spencer said, uh, as a result, we can look at the Old Testament and go, it speaks to this thing, even though we might be left wanting a little bit from purely the Old Testament. Uh, we'll see this language picked up uh, within the new. Before we get into Isaiah, one last thing here, uh, we have to start with, uh, if if we have centered around this idea of God's perfect creation in the beginning, and we are having this uh, return to those things, uh, we need to understand how all of that is coming about. How do we, how do we make the complete circle? Uh, what is going to give us the, the turn back uh, to going where we need to be? Uh, and we start in Genesis 12 with all of this. The the call of Abraham, the uh, plan of God uh, to redeem the creation. Spencer, just fill us in a little bit on on that before we get into Isaiah. Yeah, so you, you have to at least mention, even if we're going to mention it very briefly, uh, the call of Abraham uh, in Genesis 12, because like you said, you've got the perfect creation in Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, you have the, the destruction, the problems because of sin that enter into uh, Genesis 3, and then from there you just see the the way that sin begins to destroy the creation. Uh, the story of Cain and Abel, Noah and the flood, the Tower of Babel, all of that up through Genesis chapter 11. Beginning in Genesis chapter 12, with God's call of Abraham, is the beginning of God's plan of redemption. It's the, the starting point of God's plan to get us back to Genesis 1 and 2, to solve this problem of sin. And so that's where it begins in Genesis 12, where God calls Abraham and makes a covenant with him. And a part of that that covenant to Abraham is that God promises that through Abraham, he will make him a great nation made up of all the people of the earth. Every tongue, every tribe, all people will be a part of this great nation that God is going to make out of the descendants of Abraham. And those of us who are Christians and the New Testament argues that that's found in the church, that the fulfillment of that promise is the church. The church is the great nation made up of all the people of the world that God promised to Abraham. God also promises that through Abraham's descendants, the entire earth will be blessed And again, those of us who are Christians and the New Testament argues that that promise is fulfilled in Jesus, that Jesus, a descendant of Abraham, is the one who has blessed the entire earth through his life, 
through his birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension, in conquering the powers of sin and death that came into the world in Genesis 3, that through Jesus we're going to get that restoration of the original creation, where the entire earth will be blessed. It's it's interesting that you have that language of, of earth being blessed, because you could argue that that's not just people, but the entire creation is going to be blessed through a descendant of Abraham, and that through Jesus, again, if the ending of God's story is a return to the beginning, physical, mental, spiritual aspects of human beings, the creation itself, that's all brought about through the redemption found in Jesus. It's through Jesus that the entire earth, everything in the cosmos is blessed because of Jesus conquering of the powers of sin and death that brought about the destruction to the creation that we talked about last week. And so that's where it begins. That, that That's the beginning of God's plan of redemption. And then when you continue reading in the Old Testament, you get to places such as Isaiah, we get some imagery of, okay, well, what is this going to look like when God fulfills these promises, when we get to the ending of God's plan, the conclusion of God's story, What's that going to look like? Where is God leading us from the plan, from the call of Abraham to what? And prophets such as Isaiah give us some images of what that might look like. Yeah, uh, nothing really to add there, other than you know, if you if you start reading through Genesis, as many of you likely have, just over time, or you know, daily Bible reading, starting you know, start at the beginning and work our way to the end. Um, you notice after you get past Genesis 11, there's this big shift in tone. Uh, we go from fall flood tower as being these major events, and then it slows down from Genesis 12 to 50, and it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. It just really slows down on these people uh, that we focus in on there. Uh, and it's because now we're we're dealing with all of the brokenness that these three major events uh, and things in between caused here's the plan and this covenant made with Abraham, uh, which we as New Testament people get to look backwards and go see how all of that was fulfilled and how it came to be. And that provides us uh, hope and things for our future as well. Um, same thing, hopefully here with the words of Isaiah. This is Isaiah chapter 65 and 66, uh, we'll be referencing sections and then uh, calling out specific words or phrases that show up. Uh, again, the notes will be on thinkingtheologically.org, uh, but feel free to open up to Isaiah 65 and 66 if you want to follow along as we jump through all of these various references here. Uh, Spencer, why don't you go ahead, go ahead and get us started, chapter 65, and let's let's walk through all of the things that Isaiah has to say here about a a future hope. So Isaiah can the the book of Isaiah concludes chapter sixty five and sixty six with Isaiah giving us th- this image of the conclusion of God's story. Where, where is God leading us, leading human history to? Where, where does God's plan of redemption begun with the call of Abraham in Genesis chapter six? Where does it end? And we, uh, Isaiah begins this discussion in chapter 65, verses 1 through 16, by speaking of God's coming punishment and reward. Uh, we're told that those who have been faithful to God will be blessed, 
And so they will live in a land that is blessed by God. Again, remember the, the physical nature in the Old Testament of blessing and reward. And then on the flip side, those who have turned away from God will be cursed. They'll go hungry, they'll be thirsty, and ultimately they will die. And so Isaiah 65 opens up by saying God's judgment is coming. Those who have chosen not to follow him are going to be cursed, hungry, thirsty, ultimately die. But those who have followed God, who have been faithful, are going to be blessed. And they're going to get to live in this land that is blessed by God. And so that moves Isaiah uh, in chapter 65, verses 17 through 25, to give us some imagery of what this land is going to look like. What, what, what's the land, what's the pl- dwelling place of the faithful going to be? Right? If God's going to bless us for following him, let us live in a land that is blessed. What is that going to look like? And the imagery that Isaiah uses to describe the land, to describe the future salvation, the future blessings for the people of God, is with language of new heavens and a new earth. So that second section of Isaiah 65, beginning in verse 17, opens up with these words. Isaiah 65 and verse 17, it says, For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. The land that the faithful are going to receive, Isaiah says, is one of new heavens and a new earth. We talked about this a little bit last week. This takes us back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The problem being that that original heavens and earth have been corrupted by sin, Genesis chapter 3. But what is God trying to do? He's trying to solve that problem of corruption and sin. He's trying to bring us back to the perfection of Genesis 1 and 2. He began that with Abraham in Genesis 12. And so the ending of this story, the blessings for the faithful of God, are new heavens and a new earth. It's a redemption of God's creation. It's taking us back to the Genesis 1 and 2 creation that is free from the problems of sin. And that's why we're told not only is God going to create new heavens and a new earth, not only is God going to restore his creations, but the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Those curses that were brought about by sin in Genesis chapter 3 will be done away with. We won't won't remember life and creation before that was been been corrupted because of sin because we've been brought back to a pre-Genesis 3 creation. We are brought back to a heaven and earth that's reminiscent of Genesis 1 and 2. And this same language, just to kind of point forward to where we'll be going, is going to be picked up by New Testament authors to talk about heaven in a much more detailed way. Authors such as Peter, uh, as well as John in Revelation. Uh, But Isaiah's imagery of this this land, of this dwelling place for the faithful, doesn't end there. Uh, He he moves on in verses 18 and 19 uh, to talk about the dwelling place of God's people being Jerusalem. He says, uh, 
but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I'm about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. So the first image is that of new heavens and new earth, uh, taking us back to Genesis chapter 1. Now the imagery of this dwelling place for the faithful is that of Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem being the location of the temple and the temple being the location uh, of God's dwelling place. God dwelled in the temple. So when the Old Testament speaks of Jerusalem, it's speaking of the dwelling place of God. Uh, And so the salvation that Isaiah says is to come will be God's people dwelling forever in God's city in Jerusalem in the presence of God. Again, and the New Testament is going to pick up on this idea of heaven being us dwelling with God. And that's the idea of Jerusalem here, that uh, the faithful are going to get to dwell with God, are going to get to dwell in God's presence. But that again takes us back to the temple imagery of Genesis 1. Uh, We talked about how a a very compelling argument can be made that the way Genesis chapter 1 is constructed— is using wording that's similar to the uh, construction of a temple in the ancient Near East. The idea that God's creation of the original heavens and earth is the creation of a temple, the creation of a dwelling place for God. God's intention was to dwell in his creation, to dwell with his creation. The problem is, is that sin has separated us from God. God no longer fully dwells with us. We no longer fully dwell with him. But the idea of the new creation, the idea of the new heavens and the earth, the dwelling place for the faithful of God, is that we will get to dwell with God. God will not only get to dwell fully with his creation, but we as his creation will get to dwell fully with God. And again, that's going to be very prominent imagery and discussion of heaven when we move forward into the New Testament. And as a result of that, Isaiah speaks about the restoration of those things that sin has destroyed or corrupted in Genesis 3. We see a restoration of humankind's work uh, in verses 22 and 23 here of Isaiah 65. We're told that they shall not build and another inhabit, they shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands." They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. If you remember back in Genesis 1 and 2, human beings are created in God's image. We're meant to reflect God back into the world. And that comes with a royal vocation, a royal job description. We have work to do. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. We're meant to work the earth, uh, to to work the ground, to care for the the creation, to be fruitful and multiply. And we saw last week, or uh, two weeks ago in in the last episode, that in Genesis 3, all of that has been corrupted because of sin. It's no longer easy. We're no longer fully able to live out that job description. But here in Isaiah 65, in the new heavens and the new earth, where the former things are no more, we're dwelling in the presence of God. Now we can live out our work. We shall we we, we can work the the land and care 
for the creation and rule over it like God intended for us to, to be good stewards of God's creation, to to not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, that, that offspring being fruitful and multiplying. That, that's all that work that human beings as image bearers have been given is now going to be able to be restored. And that, that idea of shalom, of peace, is also restored. We talked about the peace in Genesis 1 and 2, and peace in the Old Testament being everything being in its proper place, that everything has been created and designed by God to function in a particular way. And the idea of peace is everything functioning like that. Uh, Particularly in Genesis 1 and 2, we see the idea of right relationships, everything being in its proper place. We as human beings being in right relationship with God, right relationship with our fellow human beings, as well as a right relationship uh, within the creation itself. And we see all that, that Isaiah said, is going to be restored in this new dwelling place, in this new Jerusalem, in this new heavens and new earth. Our relationship with God is going to be restored. Why? Because we'll get to dwell in the presence of God. And we're told in verse 23 that we'll be blessed by God. In verse 24, God says, Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. Uh, we have a, a, a restoration with our fellow human beings as well. We're in right relationship with them. There's no more tears. There's no more weeping. There's no more death. Uh, The creation itself is in harmony and in peace with itself. In verse 25, we're told the wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, but the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. The creation itself uh, is restored. It's interesting, that idea of the serpent, uh, food shall be dust, is a reference, again, back to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, the serpent uh, tempting Adam and Eve, uh, being forced to, to slither in, in the dust of the ground as a result. Uh, and that idea that the, the serpent's food shall be dust, I, I wish we had more time to delve into that. But I think that's, again, the idea of the former thing shall be no more, hmm. the restoration of creation in the way that it's supposed to be the the uh, destruction of the sin that has been brought into the world because of the work of the serpent in Genesis three is going to be reversed. There's going to be restoration uh, in where God is moving us, and that then moves us into the final chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah sixty six, uh, where. Isaiah continues to give us this imagery of the conclusion of God's story. Uh, Isaiah 66 opens up very similar to the way Isaiah 65 opens up uh, with a discussion of blessings and curses. The first four verses of Isaiah 66, uh, God speaks blessings on those with a humble and contrite spirit and curses on those who turned away from him. So again, we get an introduction of God's judgment against evil and sin is coming. And with that comes God's blessing towards those who have chosen to follow and be faithful to him. That then moves Isaiah in chapter 66, verses 5 through 13, uh, to speak of Zion, uh, which is the idea of the, the, the temple mount. We also get language of Jerusalem, that all this will give birth to the people of God. Isaiah says. So you've got Zion, you've got the temple, you've got Jerusalem, which as we've talked about all speaks of God's presence. So you have the idea of God's presence is going to give birth to his people. 
So again, you have the idea of that what is to come, this blessing is that we will get to dwell, all of creation really, will get to dwell perfectly in the presence of God. Again, bringing us back to that temple, that presence of God imagery in Genesis chapter 1 that we've already talked about. It's interesting that Isaiah uses this idea of of birthing, uh, of giving birth to the new creation, birth to the presence of God. That's another imagery that's going to be picked up several times in the New Testament uh, by Jesus and by Paul, for example. This idea of giving birth to something new. Uh, I'll save further discussion about all that can be thought about in that metaphor for when we get to Jesus and Paul using uh, that kind of uh, language. That then finally moves Isaiah into the final section of the book of Isaiah, chapter 66, verses 14 through 24, where he gives us yet again an image of what this final judgment and salvation is going to look like. Again, we're told, like at the beginning of chapter 65, God's judgment against sin and evil is coming, and with that, God's blessings towards the faithful are coming. What's that going to looks look like? And the first thing that Isaiah says in verses 15 and 16 is that God is promising to come and to execute judgment on his enemies, and the imagery of God's judgment is a destructive fire. Uh, he says, For the Lord will come in fire, and his chariots like the whirlwind, to pay back his anger in fury and his rebuke in flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord execute judgment, and by his sword on all flesh, and those slain by the Lord shall be many. So the judgment that's coming, the imagery used is fire. Again, that's important because, as most of us know, what's one of the prominent imageries of judgment in hell in the New Testament? It's fire. They they didn't just invent that imagery. They're stealing it from the Old Testament. The Old Testament uses this idea of, of fire as the judgment of God. That's even connected back to, you think of the judgment of God against like Sodom and Gomorrah, fire, right? That's a prominent imagery of the judgment of God. But following this judgment, following this fire that is going to destroy sin, it's going to destroy evil, it's going to destroy those who have been unfaithful to God, we have the promise that God will bring then bring together all nations and tongues. In verse 18, we're told, For I know their works and their thoughts, and I am coming together all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. So this connects us back to what we talked about in Genesis 12. What was the promise that God made to Abraham? That through Abraham he would make him a great nation, that it's made up of all the people of the earth. And here, As Isaiah gives us the image of the conclusion of God's story, we have the fulfillment of that promise. The imagery here is that God is coming. And when God comes, fire will be used to destroy all that is evil, all that is wrong, uh, all that is polluted in the world. And whatever is left over, whoever is left over, which will be people of all nations and all tongues, are going to be brought together to see God's glory, are going to be brought together to dwell in the presence of God. And that idea of being in the presence of God, where all these people are drawn 
two is new heavens and a new earth. In verse 22 and 23, Isaiah says, For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. After this judgment, the people that are remaining of all nations are going to be gathered together to dwell in the presence of God in a new heavens and a new earth. All of this language taking us back what? To the beginning. All of this language pushing, pointing us back to Genesis 1 and 2 and saying that what is coming is not only God's destruction of what happened in Genesis 3, but God's restoration of the original creation in Genesis 1 and 2 as a fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. There you have it. A uh, breakdown there of a couple chapters in Isaiah that uses language, as Spencer said, that points us backwards to Genesis, uh, both in the creation and in the promise and covenant made uh, with Abraham there, uh, but also pointing us forward a little bit to John and Paul and Peter uh, and their language that they'll pick up in various books there. Uh, and we see, like we did last uh, last episode, this thread that ties us from beginning to end uh, of Scripture and everywhere in between. Uh, this is not exhausted, exhaustive of all of the Old Testament passages that have this kind of language. Uh, Isaiah 65 and 66, though, is the most, uh, we'll say, dense with all of these pieces. Uh, there are other texts that have various parts of these, but will be uh, will be a bit uh, anachronistic, I guess is the right word. Uh, when we get into the New Testament, we might look backwards at some Old Testament passages that are not Isaiah, though we'll come back here too. Uh, and say, look, Ezekiel talks about this, or this prophet mentions it over here, uh, and make some more of those threads and connections. Uh, Spencer, am I allowed to tease the next episode, or are we sure that that's what we're doing? Uh, I, I don't think we're ever sure about anything, okay. but go ahead and Beautiful. go for it. <laughs> that's what I like to hear. Uh, our intention next week or next episode, uh, having looked at this Old Testament passage with the expectation that we'll refer back to some others as well, uh, is moving into the New Testament, specifically Jesus in the Synoptic Gospels, the language that he uses, uh, talking about these various things as well, uh, and tying some threads there uh, with Jesus and all that he said about this stuff. So, should be good. Uh, we hope that you jump in for that episode. Hope that you look forward to that. Maybe go read through the synoptics, see what passages you find about those things. Maybe we'll miss some, uh, or you'll have some questions about those things uh, that you can send our way. Uh, but this is new creation in the Old Testament. We'd love to hear what you think about this. You can send us thoughts uh, and criticisms and suggestions and questions over to strongchurchministries at gmail.com or on Facebook, both at our page, Thinking Theologically, like that if you have not already, uh, or personally in our, our messenger. You can get to Spencer on Twitter. Go follow him. He appreciates all of that stuff. And, of course, uh, be sure to check out thinkingtheologically.org and what we're doing over there. Uh, we'll have some additional content on the Gospels as we lead up to Easter, and then we'll have some other uh, content that we're writing about, New Heavens, New Earth, 
that will be posted there as well. Uh, that's, that's, I think, everything. So, good episode. Looking forward to seeing everybody uh, on the next one. Can't wait to talk to you more about new creation, new heavens, new earth. We'll see you next time. Bye.